Welcome, Twim Nation. This is the Twim Taffy Edition, and this is Tiffany Hales. Uh, Taffy stands for uh, Tiffany's <laughs> Tiffany and Friends for You. <laughs> If you listened to the podcast a couple weeks ago, when I was here with my sister, I was going to rename this episode Tiffany and Friends. And then Holly Custos, who has appeared on this show a couple of times, sent me a text message and she said, you need to call it Tiffany and Friends for you or Taffy. So that is the new name of this episode. When I am on here without my sister and I bring one of my friends, we are calling it the Twim Taffy Edition. And tonight I have a very special guest with me. I plugged you when we recorded with my sister two weeks ago. So the listeners have been waiting with bated breath. Breath. I have my friend, Jen Black. Hi. Jen, (laughs) thank you very much for joining us tonight. So full disclosure, Jen is in my ward. I've known her uh, ever since I moved into the ward. She was the Relief Society president when I moved into the ward. And I remember you coming to my house and we sat in my office here and you visited me. It was awesome. So, Jen, by way of introduction, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? First of all, she is a professor at BSU or Boise State University. So tell everybody about that and what some of your other interests are and a little bit about your family. Okay. Well, um, so I am actually a lecturer in English literature at Boise State. I specialize in the Renaissance, so I like to teach a lot of Shakespeare in that time period. Um, I... Went to BYU for my undergrad and my master's, and then I got my PhD in Renaissance Studies at Boston University. Um, And I um, have two kids who are both out of the house now. So my daughter is a professional violinist, Uh and my son is on a mission. So um, what else? Hobbies. I am. Music is my major hobby. Yes. Sing in a couple of choirs. I teach some music lessons. So um, that's a huge part of my life. And I'm also in a about uh, two book clubs right now. So that's a, another big part of my life. <laughs> that's awesome. So one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on, other than the fact that I thought, oh, she, Jen will be so fun to talk stories with because you always have such good thoughts and such good insights. And that's what I look for in somebody that I invite onto my show is somebody who's going to have some interesting thoughts and interesting insights. But you wrote a paper and you presented this paper at the Mormon History Association conference this last summer. My sister and her husband went to that conference. I did not know that you were there and she did not know. And and I mean, I kind of knew she was there. Anyway, I wish I could have hooked the two of you yeah, up. I asked, time. I asked her if she had gone to your um when you presented My your session. paper and she had, and she said there was just so much to choose from. Yeah. It wasn't like you went to everything. You had to make choices. Exactly. Yep. So I want you to spend a few minutes and tell our listeners uh, a little background on your paper. I know just a little, I don't know a ton. So this is going to be very educational for me as well. And what you wrote, what you wrote on, how it, what inspired you to write it and and the contents of your paper. Okay. All right. Well, so the paper um, is about my grandmother, who was um, a really extraordinary woman. Okay. Um, she was, and the, the specific episode from her life that I focused on was when she was on the Relief Society General Board. Okay. And helped to develop a new series of lessons that were, um, so I'll, I'll back up a little bit. So um, 
I've been to the Mormon History Association conference a couple of times. So this is this is my third time going. Okay. The first time I went and just listened to everybody's papers, and it was so interesting, and just all the different kinds of history that uh-huh. they brought in, and the different things they focused on. And so, um, and then in the meantime, uh, my sister and I have been thinking about writing a biography of our grandparents. Okay. Um, and so my grandmother left, you know, a, quite a detailed life history, and she also had a bunch of interviews done with her. And she, now I look back and my grandmother was trying to tell me things that I was not ready to understand. Mm. She was very interested in the role of women in the church. She very was very well versed in women's history within the church. And so she tried to talk to me about things that I just did we, not. Went over your not. head at the time. <laughs> yes. And now I look back and I'm like, oh, younger self, you should have listened. You should have asked more questions. So now I'm in the questioning like, oh, I wish... How do you know what would she yeah. think about these? So I've yeah. been I've been reading through her history and I've been doing a lot of outside research to uh-huh. kind of flesh it out and get more information about it. So I presented at the um, MHA conference last year about an earlier episode in her life okay. when she and her husband and my and her kids, my dad and her and my aunt lived in Israel about two years after Israel became a state, oh, became a nation. Oh, fascinating. And so she, and she's a sociologist. Mm-hmm. She was a sociologist. So she went about interviewing people throughout Israel about what it was like yeah. to, you know, about their religion, their views, especially their views on women's roles. So that's okay. what she was very interested in. So this particular paper was about her calling to the um, Relief Society General Board, which, yeah. Now, when was she called to the General Board? So she was called to the General Board. Let me look from my... Because I have a lot of background here. So August 1964. Okay. So early 60s. Yes. Okay. And she had, and she talked about like her early experiences in Relief Society. Like um, she lived in a ward in Wisconsin where they were, um, they elected their Relief Society president. (laughs) And she said they, that was an understanding that that's how you did it. Because they, because Smith was an elect lady, right? So. I, so. Okay, we, we we just need to pause there for a minute. I have never heard of that. Yep, ever. They elected their relief society. Yeah, and president. they were they were almost completely independent of the ward. So okay. they met during the week. There were several women who came to relief society who were not active in the okay. ward, but came to relief okay. society, and they um and they taught each other. They did they you know so it was a, a women's group, and so. Yeah. So anyway. Okay. I, I, okay. So they elected the Relief Society president before we all got quiet. Well, and, and things that I didn't know yeah. either is that until 1971, women were not automatically members of the Relief Society. Like you had to apply to join. Oh, I did not know that either. So, and apparently there were kind of different rules, different places. So okay. when she and her husband were mission presidents in Austria, okay. there were some problems because the women that she worked with were being very picky about who they would let into the Relief Society. Oh. They had like, you had to have been a member for a certain amount of time and you had to show that you were really serious and you had to be able to speak German this well. And so all these kinds of things that were kind of filtering people out. And so she and was that something that bothered her when she did, saw yeah, that? Yeah, and so she kind of was trying to work with them to say, like, yeah, we could be more inclusive. So she actually wrote a really long letter to the Relief Society general president at okay. the time saying, you know, these are the things I saw. These are my concerns. That ended up being what made her get oh, called onto the board. because so, <laughs> so be careful. Note to self. <laughs> Don't write letters unless you're really serious yeah, right. about change. Yeah. <laughs> so she got called onto the general board. And the, the thing that I really focused on is, 
they had these lessons for Leaf Society, but they were very focused on English speaking sisters. Yes. So they had Shakespeare and they, and she even talked, she got to teach Shakespeare in her Leaf Society. Okay. So um, your love of Shakespeare then comes quite, deep, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's embedded in the DNA. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So she, um, she and a few other sisters really spearheaded an attempt to make these new lessons that would be about worldwide sisterhood. So they were okay. about different countries. And the idea was that you, you know, you talk about Lebanon and you would make like a Lebanese food mm-hmm. to go with your lesson. And I've talked to several people who say, oh, I remember my mom made, you know, these Lebanese grape leaves yes. or they made, she made Mexican food to yeah. go with her lesson. And see, I remember that as well, because I remember that um, I think they called it cultural enrichment, yes, if uh-huh. I recall correctly. And my grandmother taught cultural enrichment for Daytime Relief Society. Okay. And uh, and I do. I remember her, you know, whatever country she was focusing on for that lesson, you know, she tried to dress up in 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 clothing from that country, have food from that country. Yes. I mean, her lesson was a production. I, I very much remember <laughs> that. So these lessons were my grandmother's idea. OK, because she really thought that the, the sisters should learn about the sisters around the world, that they should um, realize what they have in common, but also celebrate the differences um, but one of the things that was most interesting to me was just sort of the process of the, the making these lessons okay. and how difficult it was to um, convince some people that um, the sisters should be learning about these things, that there was some pushback um, from some uh, members of, not of the Relief Society, some of the mm-hmm. men that she worked with, mm-hmm. because they felt like the women shouldn't learn things that the men didn't know. Oh. And so um, that was problematic. And that, you know, for her to say. And that's probably very culturally indicative of that era. Yeah. I mean, when you are, when you said 1964, I was like, oh, she probably when she started her service on the board, the world looked a lot different than when she ended because our, we were in a huge transition starting about the mid sixties. Yeah, absolutely. Huge cultural revolution. And so she talked a lot about like the process of doing research. And, and as she was researching these lessons, she learned a lot of things that she didn't know about the world. Okay. Um, because, you know, she had, she was actually had quite a lot of experience. She had grown up in Washington, DC because her dad was a Senator uh-huh. and she had, you know, traveled pretty yes. widely, but she um, had received a sort of um, view of history that was pretty sanitized. Um, mm-hmm. And so to find out things about American history, about church history. Yes. And so, again, I think that's part of the reason she was always trying to talk to us about them. Like, let me help you understand that things are more complicated than you yeah. think. Um, but like I said, I waited a little too long. <laughs> I did get to talk to about lots of things. But so she just talked but about that. How, what a blessing that you have those journals and the things that yes. she wrote down that you can now go back and look at that with the set of eyes you have now, yeah. not your 20 year old eyes, <laughs> <Right>. Yes, <laughs> your much yeah. later in life eyes. <laughs> yes. And I actually was able to buy one of those Relief Society manuals off eBay. Okay. And so I was able to, you know, see what the lessons okay. were like. And, you know, it's really, it's, it's like a college class in some yeah. ways, like you're learning about the culture, but with the, with the LDS bent to it. Yes. Like, and a lot of the lessons were like, what is it like to be a member of the church in one of these places? Okay. That must've been very progressive yeah. for that time. Absolutely. Period. Yeah. And really made the sisters expand outside their bubble and yeah, box. That was, and that was the yeah. idea. Like if we are going to be a worldwide sisterhood, then we need to know who each other is. Yes. We need to understand each other's background. So there were some bumps along the way um, in terms of writing the lessons and also um, 
once correlation started to happen, people you know, taking over these lessons mm-hmm. and not doing them quite the way that she would have liked them to yes. be done. Um, but it, and it really made me appreciate her, her education, her, um, to her world experience. And, and also just, you know, being part of a church that values members that are all over the place. So, yeah. so I remember they had cultural enrichment and I also remember spiritual living Yeah, because I remember my mom teaching spiritual living, uh-huh. but I, I, I couldn't remember if they had other topics as well. I, I primarily remember cultural enrichment because I remember my grandmother teaching yeah, and spiritual yeah. living because I remember my mother teaching yeah. that. So they also had mother education okay. as one of their lessons, which was focused on helping women be good mothers. Okay. Um, and so that that was something that she didn't focus on in her. I hers, mean, she was the one. That hers was more those. cultural enrichment. Yeah, yeah. Now, did they have a third topic or did they just I think have they had those a third three? one? I should have brought the or a fourth with one. Me, I think I they say. had four, one for each Sunday. That's that's what yeah. I thought. Well, I guess at that point in time, it would have been still daytime relief society. Yeah, yeah, because we weren't at the three hour. We block weren't at yet. the three yeah. hour block. Yes, yeah. yeah. right. So. Very interesting. So this is part of that larger project. We're still working on putting together this whole biography. And, but it's been interesting just how looking through the eyes of one member of the church gives you like all this insight into what it was like for people living in different time periods. So, so, so let me ask you this, this manual that you bought. uh um, So did it have lessons for 52 weeks and then they'd recycle it each year or did it have a couple of years worth of lessons? So it's one year's, one year, one year's worth. Okay. And there was a new manual for each year. Okay. And so they covered a certain number of countries per year in these lessons. So how, how did you, do you recall how many manuals they ended up putting out? I think she, she, these lessons ended up being in four years worth, four years worth of manuals before they started recycling. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So how long did she serve on the Relief Society General? Oh, that's a great question. So So she starts in 64. Because I I don't know if they're like five-year callings. Like, I mean, we know our Relief Society, General Relief Society presidency is five years. I would assume the board would be similar. Yeah, it was much longer than that. I think she was on there until the mid-1970s. Wow. Well, Somewhere around 10 to 12 years. But they also had General Relief Society presidents that that was there for a long time. Yeah. how long was Bill Spafford there? A long, a long time. time. Yeah. She yeah. probably worked with Bill Spafford. She did. Yeah, she did. And that she really admired her greatly. So she worked with Bill Spafford and Barbara Smith. Okay. So, oh, yeah. very interesting. So it was an interesting time, to, you know, and I, I know there were a lot of things going uh-huh. on in terms of, you know, women's rights in the United yeah. States during that time. Um but yeah, so, and she had her thoughts about that, but that's not for this paper. So, <laughs> <laughs> so do you think I, you know, I always say about my own mother looking back, I, I don't think I, you know, at, at the time period, at the time, I think if, if you had said, if I had called her a feminist, she, she would have said, I am not a feminist. She would have vehemently denied it, but she really was. She was a closeted feminist <laughs> because so much of, 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 uh, of who I am and the things that I've learned, I, I saw from my mother and how she interacted with the men that she, the priesthood holders that she had to deal with in her calling that were very much of a very different generation than what we have now. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't, I mean, I don't, I didn't think to ask her that question that Uh I can remember. She made no secret of the fact that she was very interested in women's um, rights, women empowerment. And she often, she, she wrote to the first presidency or wrote to the apostles 
constantly. In fact, one letter she told me about that she had written to them about the changes she would like to see in the temple. Wow. Which have happened in the last few years. Oh, that so, is amazing. I don't know if that's encouraging or discouraging that she wrote to them 50 years ago yeah. <laughs> saying these things really ought to change and they have changed. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. Well, and, and sometimes I think the word feminism in the church gets a bad rap. Yeah. And it has a very negative connotation. And I don't think that is the case. Right. I, you know, when I think of myself and my feminism, I'm thinking in terms of just like what you said, equal. And 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 you have seen the church changing that direction yes. a lot, especially under President Nelson. Yes. That there is that there's much more equalization and not as much um, you know, patriarchy for the lack of a better term. But I view myself in the church these days very differently than what I viewed myself maybe, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Um, and so I think we're moving in a very good direction. Yeah, that everybody's contributions Everybody, are valued. Exactly. Yeah, voices are being heard. Yeah, exactly. And just how how women have access to the priesthood yeah. and hold that kind of jointly with their husbands. I mean, the husbands are, are the holders of the priesthood, but as a couple, you both have the priesthood yeah, and have access and to the priesthood. If you've been endowed, then for yes, sure. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it, that, and that's what I'm referencing. Yeah, if you yeah. have been endowed. And so it's just, it's a, I, 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 it's a great new way to kind of look at things. And, and like I said, I see us, I see us moving in a great direction yeah. and your grandmother just seems like an amazing woman. I could totally see your grandmother hanging out with my mother up in heaven, <laughs> like hands down, hanging out together. And I, she, your your grandmother, based on what you told me, is exactly like my mom. My mom would be like, "Oh yeah, I, I like that girl." <laughs> and when I, a couple of things. First, I really, really appreciate that she had concerns about the church, but she um, approached them from a exactly. from a faithful perspective. Yes, that she not an activist yeah. perspective. Yeah, I mean, she she wanted to see changes happen, but it wasn't like you must do what I say or I'm out or the yeah. church is wrong if they don't listen to what I say. Yeah. And then also my dad went on to have uh, one son and seven daughters. And so oh. I am so grateful for his mother because it allowed him to raise his seven daughters in a exactly. way that really empowered us to feel like we had a lot to contribute. Exactly. Now that's, that, that is awesome. Well, thank you You're for welcome. sharing that. That was great. So since this is called This Week in Mormons and we do news, I think we ought to do some news tonight. Sounds great. Okay. So we are going to start with our first news story, which uh, just hit yesterday. And this is this is kind of a biggie. Uh, the um, This was on Church News. Well, actually, all the media picked it up. It was originally released on Church News, and then all the different media outlets picked it up. But church uh, leaders updated the honor code and dressing grooming standards for all the church schools. So... The church schools, big BYU, as I call it, which is Provo, <laughs> BYU-Idaho, BYU-Hawaii, and of course, Enzyme College, all church schools. Every single one of them has an honor code. Every single one of them has dress and grooming standards. Every single one of them, you have to have an ecclesiastical endorsement to get into the school. I believe the questions on the ecclesiastical endorsement were universal, but the dress and grooming standards for the schools were not universal. For example, you can wear shorts at BYU, big BYU, I should say, and you've been able to wear shorts at big BYU for 
quite time. quite some time now. In fact, I I'm pretty sure that changed maybe in the 80s when I was there because I distinctly remember at least in law school when I was there that which was early 90s that I was wearing shorts in law school. Yeah. I mean, they were Bermudas, but they were shorts. <laughs> yes, we definitely were wearing shorts in the 90s. And yeah. I know that you could you can wear leggings at BYU and I also know that at BYU Idaho there were no shorts, no leggings, which just kind of leaves me scratching my head because I've seen some skinny jeans and they're just as tight as leggings. So <laughs> what's the point here? Anyway, so what the church has done is they have created a uniformity among all of the schools, which I think is is very good. And what they've tried to do is they've tried to go along the same lines as what they did with for the strength of youth yes, pamphlets. Yeah. More principles driven, yeah. More principle driven, less where's your hemline and where are your sleeves uh, sort of a thing. So I really appreciated that. And so what they have done, and these changes take effect August 30th. So I suppose, let's see, we're at the 25th of August now for the next five days. If you wear shorts at BYU-Idaho, you might get busted on an honor code (laughs) violation. Just wait a little while. No, it's not. Five days. (laughs) Exactly. And so... um, What they have said is, uh, well, first of all, before we get into dress and grooming standards, they did add one thing to the honor code language. And what they added to the honor code language is they said includes a commitment to live a chaste and virtuous life, including abstaining from any sexual relations outside marriage between a man and a woman. New language clarifies living a chaste and virtuous life also includes abstaining from same-sex romantic behavior. And so that's it's been a hot topic. Yeah, been a hot topic, and that is kind of a biggie because it really wasn't addressed. Um, you know that if you had a same-sex attraction, there was nothing that said you couldn't hold hands, you couldn't kiss. It just said you can't have sex outside a marital relationship between right. a man and a woman. And so they have they have definitely kind of hunkered down and clarified on that one. I haven't seen a lot of pushback on the internet yet on that one. I always like to go down the rabbit hole of comments because I'm a sucker for punishment. <laughs> and so uh, I I went down the rabbit hole of comments and I did not see anything that really discussed that. I saw a lot on the dress and grooming standards, uh-huh. specifically uh, men's hair, because What they say for hair is they say the grooming expectations state that hair should be clean, neat, modest, and avoid extremes in style and colors, and that men should have a neatly trimmed hair and be clean shaven. If worn, mustaches should be neatly trimmed. So there was a lot of discussion about still no beards. Yeah, that's my husband's first question, since he has a big beard right now. He does have a big beard. (laughs) And I did have friends at BOU who got beard cards, who, you know, for had good reasons to have beards, like you know, ingrown hair is exactly. that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Super sensitive skin. So there was a lot of chatter on the comments about, about the beards. Yeah. And that's, you know, but it's he, such a shift in the, yeah. in our church culture too, though. If you look back pre David O. McKay, yeah. everybody had beards everybody all the time. Beards. And then there was that change. So it, it makes me wonder if we're getting to more of a middle ground where there's, you know, maybe not beards yet, but yeah. mustaches. It's interesting because it says, Clean shaven, but mustaches should be neatly trimmed. So I guess mustaches does not count as clean shaven. So, which here's what makes me laugh: 
beards beards for men are kind of really in right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, your mm-hmm. husband has one. Um, you lots know, lots of men have them. Right lots now. of men have them right now, and and I'm not talking you know really big bushy beards, nicely trimmed. My son Isaac has one. He looks great in a beard. In fact, a beard adds about ten years to his face. <laughs> when he shaves his beard off, he looks twelve. Yeah, he actually looks much. He looks his age if he has this beard. So um, they're very they're very in right now. It's and and nobody's wearing them big and bushy. Um, and so it's so interesting to me that, cause I always understood it, that the reason that they wanted clean shaven was again, this goes back to the sixties and the cultural revolution and growing a beard meant kind of counterculture. Right. And so a lot of this was kind of anti-counterculture and that's not what it stands for these days. So I don't know the the, the beard thing still perplexes me. Yeah, it is interesting. Although, you know, you still... The sort of the stereotypical image of a yes. member of young member of yes. the church, especially male, is you know clean shaven, very missionary. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, well, and they say on the clothing for women, they say dressing in a way that would cover the temple garment is a good guideline. Whether or not one has been endowed, accommodations may be made for athletic participation. So. I think it's going to be really interesting to see when rubber hits the road, how is this enforced? Because when you had a no shorts or no leggings or uh, your, your, you know, sleeveless top, that's very easy to point out and point to someone and go, Oh, you're violating the honor. Right. Right. When you have somebody who is wearing that type of clothing now, they may be perfectly, they're pro- well, chances are they probably are perfectly fine with it if they're right. wearing it, but somebody else may not be perfectly fine with it. So, you know, how I, I'm just, I'm super curious how that is going to work in the, in the tattletale BYU system. Yeah. And how are they going to decide like what receives a, a reprimand or, yes. or something like that? I mean, because it's principles based. Exactly. Exactly. And so, I mean, I, I love that it's principles based and I do think, you know, the whole teach them correct principles yes. and let them govern themselves. That's, yes. that's what we believe to be true. Um, on my, on my husband's mission, his mission president was very principles based in terms of listen to music that brings the spirit. But after a few months, he had to change that because mm-hmm. a lot of missionaries said, oh, yeah, heavy metal really brings the spirit for me or whatever it was. Yes. Not that heavy metal can't bring the spirit. I don't exactly. Know, but, exactly. But yeah, that it just, they, people took that and ran with it. Yeah. And is that going to happen they, at BYU? Or are they going to have to say, oh, act. I mean, it's interesting because in this release, it says, and the frequently asked questions, it says something about this. This doesn't um, really change anything. Prior expectations yeah, are still, still applicable. And so it's almost saying the rules are still there. The rules have yeah. not changed. And yet we want you to think of these more in terms of the principles and yeah. less in terms of like, how can I get around this rule? Exactly. Exactly. Well, and, and you know, it's interesting when you talk about your your husband's mission. I mean, clearly they weren't ready for principles based. Yeah. And so I think that's kind of the shift that we're seeing in the church is the Lord thinks we are maybe a little bit more ready for principles right. based. And and you know, when I was when I read this last night, a couple of things kind of kind of struck me. I mean, we are so ingrained in church culture about our dress and grooming standards, and we can be so judgmental of other people when they wear something that is not within our dress and grooming standards. 
And, and it struck me last night. I'm like, does this stem from the BYU honor code? Because so many of us went to BYU and this was kind of ingrained in us as to how we were supposed to dress. You know, does the BYU honor code, you know, when it had more specific standards kind of lead into that, to, into that judgment? Because it just, I was thinking about this last night in terms of, of a particular sister who's in our ward and she's a hairdresser. And uh, several years ago, she and her husband had gone to the temple and she, her hair is always some, some crazy color. And I think at that time it was like bright flaming red and they had gone to the temple and they had been selected to be the witness couple. And I just remember thinking to myself, oh, there is some temple worker in there who is just having heart palpitations about this, this sister and her bright flaming red hair. <laughs> and, and so it just got me thinking, for example, you know, your husband and his beard, it's, it's, it's a higher standard to attend BYU than it is to attend the temple. And, and how do we mesh that too? Yeah, that, that's very interesting. And I, you know, I, I tend to think that it's not BYU that makes us so judgmental of each other. I think okay. that tends with something like yes. this, it's really easy to feel like, well, you know, I wish I could do that. And when we're making our decisions based on principles, then hopefully we'll be less judgmental exactly. because we'll say, well, this is how I feel like I'm being true to my covenants or I am showing respect for the, the you know, the covenant, the church that I'm part of. Um, but, and I think that, you know, this move away from all this checklist stuff is difficult because yeah. then we have to seek revelation. We have to be okay and recognize that, hey, what the way you live that principle might be different than the way I live the principle and neither one of us is necessarily right for the other, right? We don't get to make those decisions. Exactly. And then check our judgment at the door. Yeah, which so is hard. So, so hard. This is a growth <laughs> opportunity for all of us. <laughs> anyway, kind of, uh, I, I say this is kind of a big deal. So. I think it is. And it will be interesting to see if it actually changes anything. Yes. Or not. Yeah. Okay. In the world of updates, because we actually have several stories this week that have updates, they have changed the missionary handbook. And you actually have a son on a mission right now. Tell our listeners yeah. where he's at. So he's in Mexico City South. Okay. And I went through this list of changes and I said, oh, actually, they already do that. Oh, okay. yeah, they actually do that. So it seems like maybe some of the things are just being put into practice, put put down on paper that are already in practice. So for instance, I know that they are not allowed to have contact with, you know, they can't hold the child on their lap, yes. for instance. They can only, I mean, I don't know that they could only do a handshake, but um, they always have they to have an adult. They might do a fist bump. Yeah, I think that's fist, probably okay. Fist bump, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but some of these I thought were were really helpful. Um, just, and again, maybe maybe it seems like Maybe this is just correlation continued yes. correlation for the you know the current age things like that in every companionship there will still be a senior companion which I know that is not always the case um, and have mixed feelings about. Okay, so why do you have mixed feelings about that? Um, because sometimes it can create a power dynamic in a companionship that makes one companion feel like they are less valuable, especially if they've been out less time than okay. the you know, if they've been out more time than, than the, the person's senior. senior companion, it can feel like a judgment, you know? So now never having served a mission, and I know you've served a mission, I just assumed that they picked senior companionship based on who'd been out the no. longest. Mm -mm. Okay. I did not know that. So the mission president then designates. Yeah. You're At least that be... was my experience. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so that, that can be, you know, it makes a lot of sense. Like if you've been out a long time and someone else hasn't, but sometimes you're in a situation where that's not the case. Okay. And so then there can be some hard feelings mm. with that or 
Um, so, so it's interesting, but you know, you think about the way the presidencies are set up within the church. There's yeah. always president and counselors. Yeah. We don't have like three co-presidents, <laughs> like your co-release society presidents, because you're all, I mean, there is something of valuable to valuable of saying, okay, that person has stewardship over me, or that person yeah. is in a position of leadership where I look to them for guidance. I'm not the really, I'm not the young women's president. I'm in the young women's yeah. organization, but I do not have stewardship over yeah. the young women's program. So Maybe it helps us to learn some humility to say, okay, these, these things rotate and it's not necessarily a value question at all. Yeah. Again, interesting update and interesting, just like what you said, that much of this they're already doing. Yeah. They're, one, one thing that struck uh-huh. me though, is this um, communication with friends saying that they need to only communicate with their friends on P day and not by video chat. I, I, I don't know all the things that are happening with that, but I think it would be really tempting, you know, if you can FaceTime your family to oh, yeah. also FaceTime your friends. And um, so it sounds like they're, they're trying Narrowing. to limit that a little yes. bit more. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I, I thought that as well, because just like what you said, Oh, I'm done with my family. Let's call my best friend. Yeah. Let's see what he's up to. Right. So. All right. So our next one, again, another update that the church issued this week, the Sunday School General Presidency shares changes to the 2024 Come Follow Me. And they did this during Education Week. So Education Week has been going on this week. There have been a lot of stories coming out of Education Week. Actually, this week, we had a lot of stories not only coming out of Education Week, but also this was the the wrap up of the uh, YSA conference that they had down in Utah. Did you hear about this YSA conference? Okay, when we get to a story from the YSA conference, I'll give you a little background on this YSA conference. It was it was crazy. So um, the Come Follow Me manual, there have been four manuals. There have been one for Sunday school, one or adult Sunday school, one for youth, one for primary, and then one for home. So when you got on your LDS library, your library app, you pick whichever manual. If I'm teaching the youth, I pick the youth manual. They're going to consolidate that into one manual this next year, which makes so much sense to me. So um, when the new general Sunday school presidency got called, uh, one of the missions that President Nelson gave them is he said, I want you to work on two things, getting the scriptures deeper into the souls of Latter-day Saints and improving teaching both at church and at home. And so that will help with this consolidation. And apparently in the new manual, they will have ideas for learning at home, at church and children. It will also have a lot more links and it will have links to church magazines, music, videos, gospel topics, and other resources to facilitate a more in-depth study. I loved this idea. Absolutely loved this idea. I think it's going to just simplify things. Yeah. And I think it also will allow for conversation to continue from one place to yes, another more easily. Exactly. My fear is that people, if, if we don't do this right, it would be really easy to get really repetitive Yes, and just say, oh, well, I'm just going to keep talking about the same things over and over. But um, I think if we do this well, then it's going to help us to all be on the same page with each yeah. other. There have been times when I've seen what I'm supposed to teach for the young women lesson in the manual. And I think, oh, but I'd really like to talk more about what we talked about in our family study. Uh-huh. And so this is going to allow for more of that, for more yeah. of that overlap from one place to another. Yeah. I really liked, and I maybe we're going to talk about this, the the fact that they're going to do these teacher councils. Yes. Talk about the teacher council. So that, you know, part of this new initiative is to have teacher council meetings for parents. Yes. Um, which makes a ton of sense because 
you know, if we're trying to train teachers within the church to train to teach effectively, I have talked to lots of parents who have really wondered what to do with Come Follow Me at home. Uh-huh. Um, we it worked really well for us, depend you know, because our kids were at an age where they were really interested in exactly. sitting down and talking about things. They were a bit older. They you, were, you yeah, were dealing yeah. with three year olds. Exactly, <laughs> right. And so but I've talked to a lot of people who say, Oh, now I, I'm not really sure how to make this meaningful. And some people are doing it well. Uh-huh. But so the idea of of people being able to talk shop about yeah. this, I love that. Yeah. I love that too. So we have the teacher councils right now for those who are teaching and it sounds like those will still continue, but they're going to add a new section in there and rotate parents Mm -hmm. in to talk about teaching at home. So that's a big change as well. And uh, I like that. And I think it's, it's nice to acknowledge that this is something that you can learn. Um, So we don't have mother education classes anymore, but now we're having parent education classes. So I guess we've come full circle. (laughs) Well, and parent education classes for both parents, because both parents are equally responsible for the teaching of the youngsters. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right. So we are done with our, with our updates, uh, at least manual and policy updates. We are now going to talk about the uh, Maui wildfires. We've talked about this on the podcast uh, for several weeks now, ever since it's happened. But uh, it seems like every week we get more updates on what is going on. So just this week, or I guess I should say uh, last Sunday morning on August 20th, uh, members of the, I've always pronounced this wrong. Lahaina. Lahaina. Members, I I knew this was like, oh, this is going to be so great (laughs) because Jen, you all don't know this, but I do. Jen grew up in Hawaii. Why don't you talk about- Oh, I didn't say that as part of my intro. Yes. So talk about about growing up in Hawaii and where you lived and why the Maui story means a lot to you. Okay. So I was born and raised, I was born in Kahuku, Hawaii on the North Shore, and I was raised in Laie, which is where- BYU Hawaii is. Okay. And my parents taught there. And I, that was my birth to 18 was living in Hawaii and um, being surrounded by people from a lot of different cultures, which I didn't realize that was such a blessing until I didn't have that anymore. So you went to BYU? Well, yeah. I mean, and, and, and most of my other experience in the church has not been nearly yeah. as ethnically diverse as that yeah. was. And, um, and the feeling of family, like we used to camp every week together as a ward, like the whole ward would Are go you camp together for a whole oh week gosh. every summer. And we just, we were very close to each other, got to know wow. each other really well. I have very happy memories of those ward camps. And so I think, you know, that every ward is a family, uh-huh. um, but something about the mixture of the Hawaiian culture, the Aloha spirit, yes. right. And, um, and the, the, the church really bonded people together. And so I think, you know, when I think about Maui, I mean, I didn't grow up on Maui, but I feel a connection to those people. And I think, you know, a lot of people have spent time traveling there. So this, this hurt all of us in ways that, that maybe fires everywhere should, but this one definitely did. Um, But just to see the outreach from friends on social media and, you know, from the church, I'm so happy to see that the church has made stake centers available for shelters and is investing so much money in helping the saints. Exactly. There. Again, they always do, but it, it, it is especially special when it's, and it hits close to home like that. 
Exactly. And that's why I thought, oh, this will be such a fun story to talk about with Jen, because I knew that you you had that connection. And so they had the first and the second ward that met last week. And they had, um, I'm going to let you pronounce the name of the steak. The Kahului. The Kahului steak. Uh, the stake president came and uh, and he spoke to the saints and he said, my heart is cracked. It is broken, but the Savior is willing to mend all that is broken, he said. And so uh, he met with these members and also um, Christopher Waddell, who's the first counselor and the presiding bishopric, was there as well and shared with them the love of the first presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve. And Bishop Waddell also announced that the church was giving a $1 million donation to the Red Cross, uh, which I thought was great yes. to help with relief efforts. And the Red Cross then, you know, was very grateful for the donation and said, you know, we love partnering with the church. We can always rely on them. They're very good partners with us. And they said that that $1 million will provide financial assistance for 400 households, meaning about 1,200 people. So that's, that is really a, a big deal. And the article goes on to talk about um, the Hawaiian governor. Governor Josh Green, he actually met with Bishop Waddell as well while the bishop was there. And um, and he met on the shelter grounds of the stake center. And he said, you know, what you're doing is extraordinary for the people. Um, what I thought was really interesting that the governor said is the governor said, apparently his wife is a member of the church. And he did he, not know that, either. which that I was did very not know that. Yeah. I thought that was yeah. fascinating. Anyway, he said his wife is a member of the church and he spoke about the support the church gave her when she lost her mother as a child. And he said he knows that in the long run, the church will re remain supportive in the relief and rebuilding efforts in Maui. And we've seen that so many times. And then it talks about other connections that the that the church already had in Maui with their food bank and community connections that they had even prior to this this horrific wildfire, and just the roots that they had put down there to be able to to help people. And um, and then they had a they had a a little quote from a missionary and what happened to a missionary. There was a, an elder Parker Vinoy who was from Colorado and uh, Brandon Howells, Brayden Howells, who was also a full-time missionary from Aurora, Colorado. He said that they were in the, that uh, they're serving, they were serving on Maui and they were in the middle of the Island in a meeting when the wildfires started raging. And so they were all safe and accounted for, but uh, it sounds like the missionaries had a little bit of harrowing experience. The article also talks about a member who had to kind of jump over the seawall with her daughter and how afraid her daughter was. Yeah. And she said to her daughter, you know, look, we have each other and we know Jesus and heavenly father. And so we're, whatever happens, we're okay. Right. And so just some really kind of um, wonderful stories coming out of a really awful, awful experience. And like I said, we know that the church will continue to, uh, to rebuild and help not only the saints there in Maui, but also the people of Maui. Yeah. So, I think so that's two right. thoughts about that before we move on. Yeah. Number one, um, I have a friend who is not active in the church uh -huh. right now, but she, um, her, her husband knows enough about her experiences that when something happens, he says, 
What do Mormons do in this situation? What would a, how would Mormons react? Because he wants to know how do we help? What's the yeah. best way to help? And he knows that she has this background yes. of knowing how to, to yes. bring help. And then the other thought that comes to my mind is um, I know that there's been a fair amount of criticism of the church for mm-hmm. quote unquote hoarding its money. Yes. Um, but it makes me really grateful that there is money exactly. ready for situations like this one. So it's not like, oh, well, let's wait till. The, yeah. These assets, whatever, they say yeah. we can help now. Exactly. We have this, this ready to go. Exactly. No, completely, completely agree with that. So, and uh, and that is, that's one thing I really like about the church is just, I'm going to share in my favorite thing tonight, something about emergency preparedness and lack thereof. And that is one thing that I appreciate about the church is the church is very, very organized when it comes to disasters and yes. being able to help. Yes. Okay, so our next story is about former Congresswoman Mia Love. Now, Mia Love, I I believe she served from the 3rd District in the House of Representatives in Utah, and she spoke this last weekend at uh, the, um, it's called Together in Christ. It was this big YSA conference that the church sponsored down in Utah. It was huge. It was about a 10 day event. And they started off with a rock concert with New Republic and they brought in Jordan Sparks and they had dances and speakers and life coaches. It was, it was very cool. It was very kind of mega churchy. It was really outside the box for what we do, <laughs> but it was really cool. So she was, so it a, sounds like the conference they do in Scandinavia where they do that yes. conference of all the Scandinavian yes, young adults. Exactly. Yeah. It was, I think it was modeled after that because okay. we, we talked about that. Anyway, so she spoke at the conference and she said about a year and a half ago, I was on vacation with my family. As soon as we landed, I felt a headache come on. We went to the beach. The reflection of the sun on the water made the headache worse. So he took her, her husband took her to the hospital through a series of x-rays. They found out that she had a tumor in her brain. Mm. So they immediately went back to Utah. They, she had surgery. They were able to remove about 95% of the tumor. She knew she was going to have chemotherapy and radiation, um, but her prognosis was not good. Her doctor said it was a grade four fast growing tumor and he gave her 10 to 15 months to live. So she said, I would believe the diagnosis, but I would not believe the prognosis. I love that which line. I, loved, I love that. I loved that too. So she was walking with a friend. The friend said, have you specifically asked for miracles in your life? And she said, well, I guess I haven't. And so she said, I am going to, I decided then and there to ask for miracles and do everything I could to find those miracles. I chose to believe in promises made to me and act in faith. And so she was able to get involved in a clinical trial. And so the results of the clinical trial are going very, very well. The oncologist that she's working with at the clinical trial um, now eight months later says her tumor is shrinking and he's trying not to just keep her alive and keep her cancer at bay, but he's aiming to cure her and uh, saying he wants her to live a good long life. And uh, she, her point to the kids was ask for your miracle and I will ask for you too. She's reached her 15 month mark. So she's beyond what the doctors predicted. Um, She celebrated the milestone by eating gelato in Italy. And, um, you know, I I kind of had a lot of thoughts on this. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Because I mean, I think it's, these miracle stories are always awesome. And yet there's so many people who ask for miracles that don't get the miracles exactly that they hope for, although other miracles might happen. Exactly. But we know that 
that not everybody's cancer is cured. Exactly. Um, although hopefully someday that will, it, it, you know, yeah. will not be what it is. But I think, you know, recognizing that, that God can work miracles and will work yeah. those, even though we don't get to dictate necessarily what the miracles are. Exactly. And that was my thoughts exactly too, because my mother did pass away of cancer and she very vehemently asked for the miracle because my, I, I was in college, but I had brothers and sisters who were little and she wanted to stay and raise them. And she was given a very specific blessing that she would be, her cancer would be cured and she'd be able to raise her kids. And then she died. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and at the time it was one of those things that didn't make sense. And I had to just put it on a shelf right? and go, I will sort that out later. Was her cancer cured? Yes. By the fact that she passed away, her cancer was cured. Yeah. I have seen so many things in my life where she has raised me and raised my siblings. So just like you, I, I, I love the story of the miracle and I'm glad she's getting the miracle she's asking for. But I think the second part of that is when we ask the Lord for those miracles, we can say, Lord, I would like this miracle, but ultimately we have to align our will with his and maybe that miracle that we want is not what he thinks is best for us. And that therein comes the, the humility. Yeah. But I do like the message of we have to ask for the miracle and the miracle will come just maybe not in the way that we want the miracle. Right. To come. Yeah. We have to so. have the faith to be healed and the faith not to be healed. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Let's do another story. We're going to, we're going to move on to the wide world of sports now, <laughs> and we're going to talk about Kenneth Rooks. Now I have talked about him on the podcast before. He will be a senior at BYU and he does two things for BYU. He runs cross country track or cross country. And he also does the steeplechase. Now he's kind of a big deal. He, he won the NCAA in steeplechase. He goes to U.S. Nationals, and early on in his steeplechase race, he tumbles and he falls. So steeplechase requires you to, like, jump over hurdles. There's even one hurdle where you're jumping into a pond. It's 3,000 meters. Wow. It's pretty it, mm. intense. So he falls when he's at the finals at U.S. Nationals, and he kind of has a choice at that point in time to go, I'm never going to qualify for Worlds now, or I can get up and try. Right. He'd made the decision prior to the beginning of the race, if I fall, I'm going to get up. He gets up. He has enough time left on the race that he slowly gains, and he ends up winning wow. the U.S. Nationals and qualifying for Worlds. So I was very interested in watching how he did at Worlds. He was at Worlds this week. He ended up finishing 10th. Uh, he didn't trip or fall or anything. He was, uh, I believe three seconds, uh, less or longer than what he'd done at us nationals. But this was his first time on a world stage. He's never been on a world stage before. I think it's probably safe to say we are going to see brother Rooks at the Paris Olympics next summer. He will be, he will be one to watch. But there is also a female steeplechaser that is a member ah, yes. of the church. Her name is Courtney Wyman, and I've talked about her on the podcast before. She's way into running. She was like nine months pregnant and running a marathon. Oh. Who does that? Oh. Courtney does. <laughs> anyway, so she qualified for the steeplechase finals. Her steeplechase finals are on Sunday. So two days from now, we will see how Courtney does. I do think we will probably see both of them in Paris. That's so they will be exciting. fun to watch. All right. This last news story. I picked this just for you, Jen. Thank so you. So I am going to let you introduce this news story because it's all sorts of fun. 
Okay. Well, um, let me just get there on my stuff. So um, as you, I mean, the church several years ago asked for, in 2018, asked for submissions for a new hymn book mm-hmm. um, and received 17, over 17,000. And I am in a Facebook group. So I'm a musician. I'm yes. in a Facebook group with um, music people from the church from all over the place. And I, I know that several of them have submitted works for this and have not heard back yet about whether their submissions yeah. have been received. But the church um, has called for LDS singers to um, record arrangements of the new hymns in the new hymn book. Um, and they've asked for people either to apply as solo singers or as harmony part singers for these new recordings. Um, if you are um, from in the United States, you have to be able to be in Utah to yes. record these. But it does say that if you are from outside the United States, that travel funding might be available. Mm-hmm. So they really want people with different accents, with different um, ethnic backgrounds to make this a really inclusive experience. Yes. And I'm super excited about it for a bunch of reasons. Okay. Number one, Why are you excited? Um, because the last time that the, um, so 1985, the last time yes. it came out, which I remember and was super excited too. about, but on my mission, so this is pre-internet, right? So I was on a mission in 1994, 95, and um, the Portuguese members where I lived in Portugal didn't have any way of knowing what the hymn sounded like. And if they didn't play the piano, they had no way yeah. of knowing. So um, I recorded all the hymns into a tape recorder for one of the wards where I lived. So Are you I sang them like all, the whole, the whole hymn book, the so that, whole hymn book, well, the whole Portuguese hymn book, which the was Portuguese, not fun. Okay, okay, fair um, enough. But still, I you know because I was like, well, this way you'll know what they sound like. And so, of course, now fast forward, we yes. have these recordings, but we, we just get on our little phones yeah. and we can listen to it. But um, it's I'm excited to know that there's going to be a, mm-hmm. some variety in the kinds of people that are singing this so that it makes everybody feel like these are everybody's hymns. Exactly. Um, so so I'm going to try out. We'll see if they'll choose me. But OK, um, <laughs> are you going to try out? Because I think you have to pick between. No, you being, can do both. You can do yeah, both. You do have okay. to do two, two, two separate. So OK, I will do two separate applications. And oh, I think that's we'll awesome. See. So I'll let you know. <laughs> keep us keep us updated. All right. All right. We are now going to we're done with our news stories for the night. We are now going to move into what is my favorite segment. <laughs> Some people disagree, but it's called Mormons behaving badly. And so I've got a couple of updates in my Mormons behaving badly. The first one is um, Arianne and I have covered this story out of Florida, where there is a gentleman uh, by the name of Jared Brightigan. He was a Microsoft executive and he was gunned down after having a visitation with his children. And so the theory was, so he and his ex-wife were in a very acrimonious divorce Uh, He had had their two twins. He had dropped them off at her house. He was headed home. There was a tire in the middle of the road. He got out to move the tire and he was, he was fatally shot. And so there was lots of suspicion raging around that uh, the wife had perhaps orchestrated this because she had made some comments about, uh, I should say the ex-wife, because he was married at the time to a new wife, that the ex-wife had orchestrated this because there were all sorts of comments about, um, She's saying, I need somebody to, you know, take care of my husband. These, he is a member. She was a member. I don't think she's active anymore, but they, they were, they, their marriage started out as members. So, um, there was a break in the case in January. They, they, it, the Florida police department, uh, they were able to determine who the shooter was. They arrested the shooter. He has subsequently pled guilty. He is a, he was a tenant of, 
uh, Shayna Gardner Fernandez's husband. So he has a connection to her, Mm. her, her new husband. And so the new husband was subsequently arrested. And so it was just kind of a matter of time of when is Shayna going to be arrested? Shayna was arrested last week. Uh, she had subsequently moved to Washington. Uh, there's video out there that you can watch of her arrest. Um, Mm. It's kind of really sad. Her mother was there. I, I don't think this was entirely unexpected. Her mother had applied for a conservatorship of the two twins. And so I think they knew this was coming. So we will we will continue to follow this through the court system and, and see what happens. So, so my, don't have anyone killed. Don't have anybody killed. And the prosecution has said they are seeking the death penalty against her. And so clearly the shooter has flipped and said, hey, so-and-so hired me. I don't know if the shooter had any contact with Shayna, you know, what information they've been able to garner from him. I'm I'm sure that will all come out at trial um, and will, because it's, it's only an allegation at the moment. She has not been convicted yet. All we know is that the shooter has pled guilty. Mm-hmm. So. Anyway, my other Mormons behaving badly story. I have an Ammon Bundy update. Last time, two weeks ago, when I recorded with my sister, literally just shortly before we recorded, unbeknownst to me, Ammon Bundy was getting arrested on his warrant. Uh, you probably, maybe you're not aware of this. I have given Ammon Bundy a Lifetime Achievement Award in the category of Mormons <laughs> behaving badly. <laughs> And Ammon, what an honor. <laughs> what an honor. So Ammon Bundy had a warrant for contempt of court. It wasn't a criminal thing. It was a civil thing, but it had a $10,000 bond. The um, sheriff's department was reluctant to go to his house because it was a fortress. He was at his son's um, fundraising football banquet and someone tipped the sheriff off and the sheriff shows up at the banquet and hauls him away on his warrant. He's posted the 10,000. He's got some court dates. I don't hold out a lot of hope that he is going to show up for those court dates. And what I think will happen is the judge will forfeit his 10,000 and she will add another zero and that bond will be a hundred thousand. And if they arrest him on that, I think she's just going to add another zeros until he, till he, till he's in can't jail. Pay it anymore. Till he can't pay it anymore. Anyway. And then also in his case today, the judge issued an order ordering him to take off of his website, all of the defamatory things that he has said about St. Luke's. I don't have a lot of faith that's going to happen either. I think we're going to get more contempt charges. Hence the reason why he has a lifetime achievement award (laughs) from me for Mormons behaving badly. Probably I am the only person as invested in this as I, I, I don't even know if I have another listener that cares as much as I do. All right. Now that we're done with Mormons behaving badly, Jen, we always do our favorite things. I, I like to share a favorite thing, whether it is um, a book, a podcast, a TV show, an item, just something that I am currently enjoying. And so I always ask my guests to do that as well. So I'm going to let you go first before I share my favorite thing. And so what favorite thing would you like to share this Just week? one? Oh. oh, I'll let you do two. Okay, I'll do two. I'll let okay. you do two because I'm so, nice that way. <laughs> so one favorite thing is um, Kate Holbrook's book. Um, so Kate Holbrook was a church historian. Okay. She passed away recently from cancer. She wrote a book called Both Things Are True. Oh. And it is fantastic. I have to write this it down. It is so good. I am enjoying it immensely. Um, it, okay. So tell me a little bit about the book. What is she, what's her premise? So her, her, these are things that she, you know, she spent her life writing about other people as a historian. 
And so these, this is finally talking about her own experiences and she, um, and the, the premise behind it is sort of reconciling some of the tensions within the gospel mm. and within living as a member of the church. Okay. How, how these, how two con- contradictory things can often be true at once. Yes. And sometimes they are doctrinal kinds of things. Sometimes they are, um, housekeeping kinds of things. So it kind of covers a whole range of things. Oh, this sounds fascinating. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. Okay. So that's one favorite thing. My other favorite thing is the just mango, dried mango from Trader Joe's. Oh, I haven't the tried best. that. It is unsweetened, unsulfured. <gasps> it is so sweet and delicious, and it is my favorite treat. Okay, I'm going to have to go try that because I like the mango from Costco, but it has all the sugar it's on so it. so sugary, yeah. And I'm yeah. trying to like have less sugar in my life so this for is, health reasons. Yeah, this is part of what... I, I just love okay. it. And now I think, I can't believe I ever ate sugary mango because this is so sweet. And it's called Just Mango. Just Mango. So I'm actually headed to Trader Joe's tomorrow to buy my 16, 20 packages of it to bring home. <laughs> and they look Perfect. at me funny because I have a few other things and then I have like a lot of this mango. Okay, good to know. <laughs> so I may want to wait to restock. That's tell right. Me, yeah. Tell me you have to clean them out. <laughs> All right. Well, my favorite thing this week is an audiobook that I am listening to. I, I I am not a big reader. To to I read so much for work that to sit down and read is not enjoyable for me. I I want to be either watching some sort of video or television or something like that. Um, but I do really love audiobooks and I do a lot of walking. I like to listen to audiobooks and audio things when I walk. And so I watched this uh, eight-part series that Apple TV had last year. They released it about a year ago. It was called Five Days at Memorial. And it was based on Memorial Hospital in New Orleans during Hurricane Katrina. Oh, wow. And all of the just chaos that ensued because they were really not prepared for what happened. And um, the the series on Apple was amazing. And it was based on a book. And so I thought, okay, I want to get the book. So my husband was out of town this week. And so I thought, oh, this is going to be a great week to do an audio book because I only have it from the library for 14 days. And with him <laughs> gone, I can plow through a lot of it. And so I have. I've been listening to the audio book all week. And it has been so fascinating because they were really in kind of almost war zone conditions with what was going on. Mm. And they had these patients who were very, very sick and they had to make decisions about who to transport and who not to transport. Wow. And can this person be transported and how do we make them comfortable? And, and ultimately there were a number of patients that were di- that died. And it was a question of, Um, you know, were they given medication to comfort them or were they given medication to kill them and mercy versus murder. Mm. And so it raises all of these ethical questions. And one of the things that I really enjoy about the book is I don't really feel like the author is biased. I feel like the author is presenting both sides of this argument and you listen to this stuff and you're like, man, I do not know what I would do if I were in that, in that situation. And so it's just been fascinating to listening to listen to you know what happened the details of all the events right now i'm in the section where they're dealing with all of the legal stuff wow and so i mm. find of course the legal stuff very <laughs> fascinating and so it has just been it's just been a fascinating book to listen to that sounds super and especially interesting. since i had the background of watching the mini series i you know i knew but the book has tons more, more details, details. Yeah, so absolutely that is my recommendation this week sounds great 
All right. Well, I think that wraps it up for us tonight. Jen, thank you so much for joining me tonight. This has been such a pleasure. We've had just great conversation and good thoughts, and I just really love it. So maybe I could twist your arm and get you to come back on again. We'll We'll see. see. (laughs) Uh, Twim Nation, thank you very much for joining us. You can find Twim on all your social media outlets, on Facebook, on Twitter, which I guess is called X now. And, uh, and on Instagram, we have a Twim Sisters Instagram. We will post our favorite, our favorite things tonight to the Twim Sisters Instagram. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at contact at thisweekinmormons.com. And as always, if you want to be a Patreon subscriber, please uh, log on to Patreon, pledge a couple bucks a month just to help us keep our equipment running and our lights on. And thank you very much. <laughs>